Our text is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is our text tonight. We're going to take up now, continuing in our message. If you're watching by live stream or listening on the radio, you can also uh, go get today's message. As a matter of fact, this morning's message is already posted on our website. And so if you want to hear the first part of this message, it was uh, this morning, you can go there, and then this one should be up tomorrow morning sometime. Uh, this morning we were kind of looking at not being deceived. Christ had warned us, do not be deceived about these last days. And uh, just that warning of deception is over and over again in the garden. Deception happened, deception takes place quite a bit. One of the major things, one of the major weapons of the devil in trying to get us off course, to get us off in the wrong directions of our life. So be not deceived. Uh, in these last days, evidently, that's going to be a stronger attack of the devil in the last days. And, and so we were warned about that 2,000 years ago by Christ. But also here in our text here, uh, after the church has already started in the New Testament, I mean the church Churches are being planted, and, and you have the one here at Thessalonica, and they're receiving this. So these, there are problems of this nature that have already hit there. And it says in verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled either by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition." Now let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get right into our message. Father, I pray you'd help me to rightly divide your word tonight. I pray that, again, if anyone that is under the sound of my voice, whether it's in this auditorium or radio or on the live stream, however, Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to hearts. Make us aware that Christ is coming soon, but we need to be prepared as Christians that we'll not be ashamed at his appearing. So, Lord, I just pray all of this would be for your honor and for your glory's sake, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we look at this text, I'm going to start right back here at the top of it. I just wanted you to see, first of all, when we were talking about deceit, that being such a big thing that we hit this morning, uh, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering unto Him. Now, if you'll remember, when we were talking that this morning, we was in Genesis chapter 49, and, and we saw there in verses 8 through 10 where Judah, that tribe, and Messiah would come through that tribe, and now, and talks about the gathering together unto Him, and again, we have it here. And so, this is really the gathering together unto Him is talking about the rapture. And so that just coincides with what we had this morning on the gathering together of him. And there was deceit. 
Now, you know, when you think about that, think back to Noah's day. Before Noah uh, gets the message from God, we read. We read in those chapters. I mean, that's the sixth chapter of Genesis. So in the chapters preceding, then men started to call on the name of the Lord. People knew God. Enoch, the great-grandfather of, of Noah, the Lord just took him on up to heaven. We don't have a record of him dying. He just was taken up into heaven just like a rapture. Uh, he was taken up because he walked with God. And as he walked with God, God took him. And so we read about those things, and uh, a lot of people knew the Lord. Many people knew the Lord. But by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, boy, the world has taken over. I mean, the flesh has taken over. It's an ungodly world. Everything is evil. It's so bad, the Lord said He's ready to destroy it. It's ready to be destroyed now, but I'm going to give Him 120 years of grace. 120 years of opportunity to be saved. Now, knowing that they knew these things about standards, that they knew these things about righteousness, holiness, separation, they knew the story. I mean, uh, Adam, some of their parents had knew Adam. Think about that. As you see these guys coming up to that point, they knew him. They lived a lot longer back in those days. They wouldn't have known Adam, anybody in that day of Noah, if they had not had some that had lived back then. But when you think about it, they saw the evil that was overtaking the world. It was worldwide. But we find that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah walked with God. He feared God, the Bible tells us. The Bible also tells us in the New Testament he was a preacher of righteousness. When you think about that, in a world that all of a sudden the holiness was out the doors, everything else like that was out the doors, there are no standards. It was the culture. I can imagine Noah preaching that 120 years and saying, that guy needs to get up to date. What's wrong with him? That, that old guy, he's probably still singing hymns. Boy, they thought that guy was crazy. But guess what? Guess what? There was uh, one guy with his family that survived that flood and repopulated the earth. And yet, since then, there's failures in the home to pass it on down, and the homes became so corrupted again. So, what I'm saying is, is that uh, God expects us to be separate from this world, from the flesh. He expects us to be separate. He expects us to have those standards. Well, do you know what the world's going to think of us? Modest dress. Don't social drink. Man, they're going to think you are totally an imbecile. But you know what? The world won't think that when they're in hell. They won't think that in hell. Yes, it costs something to walk for God. It's caused something to walk with God, to walk the way He wants us to walk according to His Word. But as the hymn writer wrote, it will be worth it all. Amen. And you know, to be quite frank with you, I, I wish I could just change that hymn just a little bit. If you walk with God, you find out that it's worth it all now. Boy, the, 
what he gives you in counsel, what he gives you in strength, what he gives you in wisdom, what he gives you in those things, it comes from walking with him, fearing him, living for him. He does that for us. And so, yes, it will be worth it all then, but it's, it's worth it all now. And so, you look there, after having seen in the correlation with uh, Genesis about the Lord's coming back, and Noah in that day. But now, when you look at our text, he said, we beseech you by the coming of the Lord. So, when you're talking about the coming of the Lord, he's talking about the rapture that you and I are looking at. So, when you get to verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled. How are you going to be troubled? Neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, that that day of Christ is at hand. Now, you know, when I look at that verse, I, he's saying spirits. Yet, spirits try to work in people's hearts and minds, spirits of the devil, religious spirits, but to change you from standards to change you, to corrupt the church, and that's what they were doing. They are trying to corrupt the church. Spirits said, oh, the day of the Lord's already come. Look what's happened. And trying to give confusion about the rapture. Uh, understand, in the last days, there is going to be all that deceit that continues, as it mentioned here, in verse 2. So he says, don't be troubled by spirit, nor by word, that is people that corrupt the word of God, try to say, well, you know, we've got liberty, we've got grace. In other words, they turn the grace of God to lasciviousness, saying, we can do those things. <laughs> Forget all those old standards. We can do these things. You see, that is taking the word and corrupting the word of God. And so, again, as he says there in verse 2, or by letter from us. By a letter from you? From you guys? What, what in the world are you talking about is a letter from us? Well, you see, they're not only trying to deceive that way, but do you realize that when Paul was establishing churches, with the missionary team. I mean, it wasn't just Paul. There's a missionary team. They were all involved. That there were those that came in and said, hey, yeah, boy, this is great. You need to be saved, but now you also need to be circumcised. And they wanted to get the law in it. So they wanted to bring things in from the, the law that did not deal with that because the important circumcision was the circumcision of the heart. That this spirit is circumcised from the world, uh, from the flesh, from its desires, to the desires to walk with and know God and please Him and love Him. And so, those are the things that come about as you look at those last days. And they were coming right back then. Deceit was trying to uh, get in there about God and judgment. The judgment of God coming upon men. And so that's the way the devil has worked throughout all ages. And so he says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means. You see, deceit is one of the key 
ingredients of the devil's weaponry against a Christian in his life and the local church that stands for the Lord. He'll try to bring deceivers in. He'll try to bring deceivers in here. He will. And they'll sound so good. They'll sound so convincing. And usually when you hear about accusations, then you'll find out later, you won't find out time seems so real at the time, but later you find out it's false accusations. You see, they are deceivers, deceivers, and you always have to be on the lookout for deceivers. And so, again, uh, he says there in verse 3, that no man, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, think about that word perdition. As I was checking out the definitions of it, the idea behind the, the word of, of that, it, it is defined as destruction, to make obsolete. You know, you... I've had people, you know, you, get, you have that computer, and you, why, why do I want to get a new one? Why do I want to get a new television? Why do you want to get a new car? Why do you want, and this, well, that thing's obsolete. People don't use that anymore. I'm a people, and I'm using it. You know, it's obsolete. Well, that's what perdition does, tries to make things obsolete. The sense, though, however, is a future eternal loss of any joy, hope, or relief in eternal perdition of death. In other words, there is existence. They continue to exist. But existing in a lake of fire where you cannot cease to exist and you'll never escape and, and you'll be tormented day and night and forever and ever is not life. See, in heaven, we not only continue to exist, it is called eternal life. You see, we're a spirit, Satan's spirit. All the spirits of the angels that fell with him will continue to exist, but they're going to be in hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And don't think that they're doing the, the torment in hell. They're being tormented in hell. And everyone that dies without Christ is being tormented in hell. That's why we need to be witnesses for the Lord, because it's real. And, and that's the way it is. You say, well, if I go to hell, all my friends will be there. Well, I didn't know the devil was your friend, but evidently he is. He and all of his fallen angels with him. So, again, when you think about it from that vantage point, that just kind of puts a little bit different uh, idea of it. And so, we see that deceit takes over in these last days. And that man of sin will be revealed, but he's not Revealed until the falling away. Now, that brings us to the idea, well, what's he talking about? The falling away. Now, sometimes there are people, and there are probably people that are listening tonight that will disagree totally with me on this, but uh, uh, it lines up with the Word of God. Falling away is the Greek word apostasia. Now, uh, we get our word apostasy from it, and it is defined as a falling away, a falling away from 
truth, from doctrine. But that's only partial of the definition. In full, the definition also includes departure, removal from. So how do you know which one applies? One I used, I think it was last week I used this uh, illustration. Hey, I will read the book. I read the book. How do I know which one applies? By the sentence structure itself. If I said, I will read the book, then I'm going to, even though it's spelled the same way, read, that means I'm getting ready to read the book. I read the book means I've already read it. Okay, so it's the structure of the sentence. Well, the structure of the sentence here is talking about the coming of the Lord. It's, Jesus hasn't come yet. They were trying to make people think they were left behind. But really, the idea was they had not been taken away out of there. The Christians were still there. I can imagine that when Jesus rose from the dead, we read of the uh, people coming out of the tombs and and, and walking there, and people seeing some of those that had already died. But I wonder if they thought that was the rapture and that's it. No, no. The rest of the New Testament talks so much about it. There are parts in the New Testament where the Greek word apostasia refers to going away from doctrine, going away from the uh, Word of God, going away from those things, falling. Going away from righteousness and true holiness. It's going away from those things. But really, here, by the passage, since it's talking about the rapture, it's talking about people being carried out, taken out of here. And so here, the proper uh, definition to add to that is a departure or removal from, and we're going to be removed from this earth by the word of the Lord. When he yells, come up hither, we're going up, friend, if you're saved. And you'll be a part of it. Now, since verses 1 and 2 then are, are talking about the coming of Christ uh, and not people uh, departing from Bible doctrine there, uh, then we need to see that Satan's going to try to deceive us in some areas. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that you see one of the things of the day is that people are not enduring sound doctrine. And when you look in Timothy, you find out that that is one of the signs of the day is people not enduring sound doctrine. So don't, don't get me wrong saying preacher doesn't say that, preacher saying that, you, uh, that if you uh, go wrong doctrine, apostasy, and that kind of apostasy, uh, that's not part of it. Oh yeah, yeah it is part of it. That happens before the coming of the Lord. How can people in the local church be apostatizing after the Lord has come? When they're with the Lord. So we need to understand those things uh, about it. So, in context, the word speaks of the rapture as uh, addressing the falling away. So, there is a falling away that's coming. Now, when we are raptured, then those left behind will have been left behind to face some things. They will suddenly See, so many who were Christians, who were saved, who knew the Lord, gone. They won't be able to deny that. They won't be able to cover that. 
they will see they are gone. That's why in Revelation 13, Satan, I mean, the, the, the beast will, will curse God and challenge God. But what will Satan do? Well, Satan will need to empower. Yeah, he will empower world leader. We're always talking about the Antichrist. But Satan will also empower a religious leader. A religious leader uh, who will have a great power, the ability to do miracles. Because now the people see everything gone. I mean, how many times, how many people called the preacher, uh, my child died, my, 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 my husband died, my wife died. Oh, I just lost everything. I just lost everything. And they call and they ask the church. They want people to pray for them and, and so forth. And it seems like all of that's gone now. All these things are gone. Now what are they going to do? And so this one comes on the scene. Whereas there's a world leader that will rise up that we call the Antichrist or the Beast. There's also this religious leader that rises up, and they both attribute themselves to the devil, to Satan, the serpent, that old red dragon. And you might call it the unholy trinity. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 through 18, addresses this. He says there, in Revelation 13, beginning with verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Oh, you think of the lamb and sacrifice. You think of the gentleness of a lamb. Evidently, this guy has a gentleness about him that everybody likes. The gentleness of a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He had power in his speech. What he had to say caught everybody's attention. And he exerciseth all the power, that is, all the authority, of the first beast before him, that is, the Antichrist, and causeth all the earth and then to dwell therein to worship the first beast, that is the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. Now, I've heard preachers talk about the deadly wound healed. It's about talking about his leadership of a country, and he brings it back. And I, perhaps that's why some would say President Zelensky, and I'm, I've said I didn't rule him out. I'm just saying, and he is of Jew. I don't know if he's of the tribe of Dan. I do happen to think that whoever that world leader is, he will be a Jew and he's out of the tribe of Dan. That's just my opinion, okay? But nonetheless, uh, he has a deadly wound that is healed. What does it sound like? Uh, what happened with Christ? He rose from the dead. See, Satan's an imitator. So he's imitating a trinity. And so now you have this man who is this uh, satanic prophet, you might say, 
not a prophet of God. And this beast, the world leader, the Antichrist, his deadly wound was healed. And verse 13 says, And doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven. Remember the imitator? Satan. Who called fire down from heaven? Who is coming back to help set up the millennial kingdom? Elijah. Remember the Bible taught, Jesus said, and Elijah indeed will come. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. So he's calling down fire, and it's like, hey, this is him. And don't believe me. Satan knows the Bible. His people will know the Bible, and they'll preach those things to make it look like this is the guy. Hey, there's hope. There's hope. And so he makes the fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now, it's not the first time that Satan's tried to imitate God or get men to do the wrong thing. Don't forget, when Israel made a golden calf in the wilderness, guess who it was dedicated unto? Jehovah God. This is he that took us out. Or they're saying, Jehovah's taking us out through this image. And so now you have this coming on the earth. So he does this in the sight of men. Verse 14 there, Revelation 13 says, And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. Again, there's that word deceit. Jesus warned about it. We're seeing it here now, being warned again. Deceit. That Satan himself is the father of deceit. And so, that he uh, deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast. In Revelation 13, you'll see that people are beginning to worship the beast and the dragon that gave power unto the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Verses 15 and 7, uh, 15 and uh, through 17, I believe it is, they'll have in Revelation 13 to talk about the mark of the beast, 666, that comes with that. And you've got to have that to buy or sell or trade or anything. But what I'm trying to say here on this part, it's going to look like he rose this guy from the dead, like Jesus rose people from the dead. He does it in the name of the beast. People are deceived. They're believing this, and then he makes this image. And the image talks to them. Oh, you can do that today with computers. That's no big miracle. I, don't, I think that they'll take them in to show them there's no computer involved. And by the way, when you see some of the things that happened in the book of Revelation during the tribulation hour, where the moon shines not for a third part of the day and either the sun, 
And you see all the storms and everything else going on. I mean, how much trouble does just a small little rainstorm give you here a lot of times with your computers? But when you've got these big, huge, 100-pound stones pelting the earth, the sun not shining for a third part of it, the night likewise, the day or the night. And the idea, when he says he'll shorten those days, does not mean that he'll make it less than seven years. It's actually the days are shorter. The days are shorter. Now, it took me a while to get onto that because uh, when I first heard that, I said, ah, the guy's just trying to come up with something new. And then I, I started to say, well, wait a minute. When you're studying to read some other Greek scholars about it, they say, well, yeah, this is what makes it this and this makes it that. So I don't know if the earth kind of gets off kilter somehow or another. I don't know if it speeds up. I don't know what happens with it. All I know is that it's going to happen. God said so. And he's telling us ahead of time it happens. And people are going to be deceived into believing this because God said it will happen. Now, so having said that, and, and looking right there at what Revelation chapter 13 had to say about it. You go back to 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2 and verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. That is, the son of perdition might be revealed in his time, but there's something that withholdeth. You see, the Holy Spirit is one that withholdeth Satan from taking over and doing the things that he wants to do in the tribulation. He would have, he's wanted to do that ever since Christ ascended into heaven. But we have the Holy Spirit of God, and that is still God. So, Satan can't overcome the Holy Spirit of God. Right now, the thing of this earth that keeps it from being what you see in the tribulation is that the Holy Spirit is withholding the power of Satan. Or Satan would do it right now. Because Satan wants people to die in their sins and not have any more chances to be saved as they have today. So, he that withholdeth uh, that he might be revealed in his time, as we said, the Holy Spirit doing this and so forth before the tribulation. But when we get caught up, the Holy Spirit's going up with us. And then the devil's going to have free reign as that unholy trinity goes to work on this world. Now, the unholy trinity, you have the devil right now working on it. He sends out his evil spirits, his devils, his demons, if you want to call it that. But whatever, they get sent out right now. They work to deceive Christians. They work to keep men corrupt. They keep to work to keep men from getting saved and loving their sin and evil. They work to do that. That's why he said in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. See, people think that these are all the great inventions of men that, that happen here. The design of men, no. 
the mystery is that Satan has used his devils to design all the filth and trash that you see today. And so, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That's the rapture. The mystery of iniquity is working today. Now, when you look at how the churches have become, churches are unholy. Local churches. One time that had a name for standing for the Lord. My goodness, I think of Highland Park Baptist Church because I got baptized there by Dr. Lee Robertson when I was a six-year-old boy. But I remember going there and, uh, when, when I first went to college, I went there first, and I, I can remember that preaching, souls getting saved, standards, all of that, missions around the world, pastors throughout the country to spread the word. Oh, it was there. But the spirit of iniquity works so hard today. You look at what churches have become. They are unholy. You watch it. You'll see scantily dressed women singing the songs, they say, of, 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 of heaven, of praise to the Lord. And they're dancing, they're shaking their bodies and everything else, doing things. Look, I know a man that has actually done the camel work on some of these major ones that do that. I mean the major ones that do it, that you've probably seen some of their programs. And he told me one time, he says the cameramen, yeah, he says they talk back and forth on their little headsets they have as they're doing everything. Of course, part is tell them where to go, we're pan this way, pan that way, but part is, you check out that woman on the third to the left? Look at her. You see, you, you uh, don't like to hear that, but quite to be honest with you, that's the truth. That's the truth of what's going on to the local churches. And we say, well, no, no. My children want to go to that church. Man, get on your knees. Come to the altar every Sunday, every service, and say, Lord, what's going on with my child? Help them to see the evil of that and get out of that. Well, I don't think it's evil. Well, then tell God you don't think it's evil, although he says it is. And he'll have a word for you. So he who letteth means he who restrains, who keeps it from taking over completely. And when the Holy Spirit takes us out with the rapture, the saved people are caught up to be with Christ. Boy, Satan really gets started. And so you look at verse 8 there in our text. And then shall... Uh, that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Remember in Revelation 19, that talks about that devil, that, that world leader, and the false prophet. The Antichrist and the false prophet, the beast and the false prophet, are cast into the lake of fire, the eternal lake of fire, and they're the couple, the first ones on earth that are cast there. By the word of his mouth. Remember Jesus in the first part of Revelation 19, starting in verse 11? 
a sword out of his mouth, the word of God. It was his spoken word in Psalms 33, we see, created the heavens and the earth. And it's his spoken word that that Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast to the lake of fire. And all those people mad because they were deceived by them will also be with them in that place at the day of the white throne judgment. And so it says, that wicked whom the Lord shall uh, consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The Antichrist was empowered and given power by Satan, but that power cannot resist the power of God. And so, you think of that Antichrist. The Antichrist, he was offered that position of this world power. But we also see in Revelation 13, the Antichrist worships the dragon, gives glory to him, praises him. Uh, but that's not a new thing. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to a wilderness, and Satan meets him there and takes him to an exceeding high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, all these will I give them to you because it's mine to give, and it was his to give. You see, before that was Adam and Eve's, but when Adam sinned and he fell, and they fell due to the temptation, of the devil got the authority that Adam would have. And so he's telling him, I will give this to you if you'll bow down and worship me. The Lord lets him know there's only one God, and him only shall you worship. He lets him know right away. But this Antichrist, oh, he's looking at self-glory. But it's going to be a short-lived glory because at the most it's just seven years. Oh, my goodness, he is deceived. And it, when you think of that devil, that, could, that, that religious leader, that could call fire down from heaven. And he says there in verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. That term lying wonders means miracles that deceive. Perhaps you went to the little circus somewhere as you was growing up and you saw them doing the magic acts. How do they do that? Well, they were doing things that deceive you. The hand is faster than the eyes, they would say. Miracles that deceive. And so one of those miracles we're seeing in Revelation 13, as we already read, that he calls fire down from heaven. And so these are things not yet seen in any leader that has risen up in America. This has not been seen in any leader. And so verse 10 says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Remember in John 1, 12, 
as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. But they would not say, they did not receive him. When they heard the gospel, hey, I'm doing the best I can. Hey, I'm not that bad. By your standards, you're doing the best you can, and by your standards, you're not that bad, but those are not God's standards. And so we see in verse 11 and 12 here of 2 Thessalonians 2, And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. Because you'll see in Revelation chapter 13, Satan, this Antichrist is challenging God, blaspheming Him. In Revelation chapter 11, there are two witnesses, that, two witnesses of the Lord, whom the whole world fears and hates, and this Antichrist will put them to death and overcome them, so they think that His power is greater, which it is not, because after they've been lying in the streets three days, and the world mocking it, sending gifts to one another, hey, we're free of that stuff, we're free of those fundamentalists. All of a sudden, they're caught up to be at the Lord. And so, He'll send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They heard the gospel. They knew the gospel. They would not receive the gospel. You knew you needed to be saved. You didn't want, I want to live it up. I want to have my fun right now. Rapture takes place, they're left behind. What he's saying there, that they might be damned who believe not the truth. In other words, you heard, you were under conviction, you realized you weren't saved. Now, I believe that there are people that have heard the gospel had no idea what it was about. But I do believe that there's going to be a lot of people that did hear it and rejected it. And hell is going to be their eternal destiny. They won't be able to be saved in the rapture. We, we just gave a little bit of the gospel this morning here in the church service. Anyone that wasn't saved in that service that don't know Christ the Savior, at least they had the opportunity and they passed it up. If the rapture took place this evening and they were left behind, they would not be able to be saved because they passed up the opportunity they had. Now that's what the Bible says. You can disagree with it, but you're dis not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with God. So you've got to understand that. Those that have had the opportunity, they have heard, and they don't receive it, they don't act upon it, then they are going to go to hell. Now, why is that important for you and I to know? Because we're saved. Well, let me just read verse 11 and 12 first. And for this, God shall, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. We've just seen the lie of the devil. So we looked at some of these passages in Revelation 13. They believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They just didn't receive it. They knew they needed it, but did not receive. That person can't be saved. But what about us? We know it. Do we care? Listen to Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 8 and 9. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. 
If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Most Calvinists I've talked to hate that scripture. But God says what he means, and he means what he says. But what does that mean? Their blood on your hand. I'm not going to read those verses. Well, let me read verse 9, then I'll go to Revelation chapter 21. I probably won't read that tonight. But Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, but he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. You see, how have you delivered your soul when you're already saved, you're in heaven? How is blood required at your hand? Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15 talks about, I saw a great white throne. And you see all those souls that, that white throne. They're not going to have a chance to say, well, I did the best I can or anything like that. No. It's not going to say whether they go to heaven or to hell. Those at the white throne are going to hell. They're going to the eternal lake of fire. So what is it for? It's going to determine their punishment. It'll be worse for some than others. Hell's going to be a lot worse for Satan than it is for other people. But nonetheless, there are different groups of people that's going to be worse for them than it was for others that are there. And they're cast into the lake of fire. But the very next chapter, you know, it's funny to me, I always wondered why in Revelation it talks about two other times before this, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. But it's not till Revelation 21 4, you find they wipe the tears from their eyes, and there'll be no more crying nor tears. I believe because the blood's been required at their hand, at your hand. God showed you that person's unsaved, or at least you had a doubt about that person being saved. And you see that person at the white throne. You're not at the white throne to be judged there. You've already been at the judgment seat of Christ. You're in heaven. But those unsaved people that you knew, they turn. Why? Why? Didn't even give them a gospel track? Didn't invite them to church where they would hear the gospel preached? You didn't want to lose their friendship. Well, you lost something much greater than their friendship, and once they see what you did not do, you've lost their friendship. They curse you. but they'll also lose reward. I believe in the parable when Jesus said, take from him that hath the one and give to him that hath the ten. I think that that's where you see some of the ones taken away and the ten given. The crown of rejoicing for the soul winner, those that witness. Daniel chapter 12, verses 
Uh, verse 3 talks about turning many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever. People have a free will. They can decide to receive or, or, or reject it. But if we go out and try to turn them to Christ, it's not our fault that they re reject it. It's not that we didn't do a good sales job. No, the Holy Spirit works through the gospel, not you, not me. What it comes down to is you turn men into righteousness, you'll shine as the stars forever. That's glory. That's an exalted place in heaven. Reward. But you don't. That blood is required at your hand. And that reward that was laid up for you goes to someone else. That's why, as you've seen people you know, perhaps love, that you did not, did not get them the gospel, did not give them a chance. That's the blood on your hands. Some have unsaved relatives. Some have relatives you're not sure are saved. Oh, they made a profession, but you really say, are they really saved? Yeah, pray for them at home. But I'll tell you what, again, Hannah at church, she prayed. Remember there? 1 Samuel chapter 2, chapter 1 and 2. When she got there, chapter 1, she is praying. And Eli uh, thinks she is drunk. No, she's moving her lips, but Eli doesn't have to hear her. God's hearing her. Now, I'm sure she prayed at home. She prayed at home for it, but when she prayed at God's house, God honored that. Now, she needed to pray at home, but she also needed to pray at God's house, unashamedly, and she did. Perhaps you need to start coming to the altar more often for that soul that you're just not sure about. Why? You're the people that God has asked me to be an under-shepherd for Him. I don't want blood on your hands. Why would I? There's no glory in that. So let me just close it up tonight by saying, what's next? The thing that should be next is that we're getting on fire for God if we believe that Christ is coming again. That's what should be next. So let me ask you, what's next for you? What's next? Let's bow our heads, please.